Welcome to Real Life Church. For more information about our ministry and available resources, visit us online at reallifeankeny.org. Now let's join this week's service already in progress. Well, good morning. Now, we're going to start out this morning by playing a game. Uh, there's several games out there that are based on word association. Uh, you know, one person says a word, and the next person must say a word that they associate with that word. Uh, for example, if I say uh, refrigerator, you might say something like uh, milk or cold or food. And even though it's a game or word association is a game, it's thought to reveal something of your subconscious mind. So I'm going to say the word Christian, and I want you to give me some words that you associate with that. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Love, good. Truth. What was that? Okay. All right. Well, one of the words that I would hope that you would associate with the word Christian or Christian life is the word freedom or liberty. And that is that really is a, a serious issue, what you do think of when you hear the word Christian or Christian life. Um, what you associate with that really matters. And my purpose this morning is to bring you to a place where you would associate freedom with the Christian life. And that you would stand fast or stand firm in your freedom. When you are saved or if you want to get serious about following Jesus, usually somebody will give you a list of things to do and a list of things to not do. And you get the idea right away that you are not free at all. But Paul said in Galatians that Christ set us free. And we are not to be entangled again by a yoke of slavery or a yoke of bondage. We are not saved in order to live a life of mechanically following a list of rules or laws. It was for freedom that Christ set us free. Earlier in the book of Galatians, it talks about how we are like mature sons, you know, grown-up grown sons that are set free. Sons who have been given freedom and the Holy Spirit to lead us. Now, the very word religion causes most people to think of performing some sort of religious duties, keeping uh, rituals or keeping regulations or laws or rules, uh, performing certain duties at a certain time in a certain ways on certain days. And yet Paul's message is that Christianity is not bondage. Christianity is not slavery to a religious system. Christianity is not slavery to law or to laws. Christianity is, in its very essence, liberty and freedom. You know, shortly after Martin Luther, at, at the beginning of the Re Reformation, or what sparked the Re Reformation, posted his 95 Thesis on the door of the church in Wittenberg. Shortly after that, he wrote a book called a treatise on Christian liberty or concerning Christian liberty. And in the beginning of that book, he says, the Christian man is the most free man of all. 
The Christian man is the most free of all people on earth. Theodore Epp, who founded the Back to the Bible radio program and is really probably before most of your times, but he wrote a great book on the book of Galatians called Spirit and Flesh in Conflict. And he said, we have a whole new life from God, which is Christ himself living in us by his spirit. And we cannot take this life from God and put it under the domination of rules and regulations. The Christian life must be free to express itself and not be held down by man-made regulations and resolutions. And then the last thing he said, I really want you to get this. I want you to hear what I just read, but I really want you to hear this last statement. We possess a life so divine, so ideal, that it cannot be forced into a mold of external regulations. In the book of Galatians, Paul says forcefully, I don't know how he could say it any more forcefully, that we are free from every kind of external bondage or law or ritual. And it is not just that that you can be free, it is that you must be free. As verse 1 says, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. It is not just that it is permissible for you to be free, not just that it is okay or an option for you to be free, but Christ wills you to be a free man or woman. It is his purpose for you, his will for you to live in this liberty. Well, what is this freedom? I mean, what are we talking about? There are different kinds of freedom in the Christian life. Uh, But in the book of Galatians, Christian freedom is freedom from the law. Freedom from the tyranny of living under a legal system. It is freedom from the oppressing and terrible awareness that we do not measure up to God. It is freedom from the pressure and frustration of trying to keep commandments and laws in order to be saved or in order to be accepted by God. It is freedom from having to strive and struggle to earn acceptance with God. Christian liberty in the book of Galatians is the freedom of being justified by Christ alone, apart from works. It is the freedom of being made right with God, having a right standing with God by what Christ has done and not by what we have done. But there is a second aspect to this freedom that is very much woven throughout the book of Galatians. And It is this freedom that comes from having the Holy Spirit at work in us. In place of laws written with ink or on tablets of stone, we have the continual, immediate inspiration of the Holy Spirit to make us new people. We are free in the Spirit, free to live out from within because the Spirit is within, free to function in the overflow of the Spirit. Instead of trying to please God by striving and grinding out our own performance-based righteousness in our own flesh, we have the Holy Spirit given to us to produce His fruit, giving us a desire, giving us a power 
to serve and to please God. Our role is to, is to walk in that spirit, to, to abide in that spirit, to, to keep step with the spirit, to just keep in harmony with the spirit. Our series that we've been going through is called The New Covenant. And I've been so impressed that the single promise, and if you had to narrow the New Covenant down to, to one single blessing or promise. The single great blessing or promise of the new covenant is the Spirit. Galatians 3.14 says, He redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to Gentiles. That's people like us through Jesus Christ so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. So the Holy Spirit given to us to take the place of Jesus' physical presence is our new covenant blessing. The Spirit daily and hourly stirring and working in our hearts is how we now live. And that is real liberty. The Holy Spirit manifesting the life of Jesus in us. The Spirit bearing fruit through us. The Spirit always speaking, always leading, always sanctifying that is our new life. That is the life that we are to walk in, to keep in step with. And Galatians 3.25 says, we are no longer under the supervision of the law. In other words, we have have become mature sons, indwelt by the Spirit, set free from the external restraints and condemnation of the law. Now, Paul says this liberty is to be vigorously defended. And going back to verse 1, which we read a part of earlier, it says it is, it, is, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. And Paul says, Stand firm then, and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. And in verse four, or chapter 4, verse 30, Cast out the slave woman and her son. Cast out the slave woman and her son, the law. Get rid of, some translations say, get rid of, throw out the slave woman. So why is Paul so adamant about standing in your liberty? I mean, you might think, hey, you know, I've got kid problems, I've got money problems. What, what do I really need to be concerned about this issue of Christian liberty? You know, I've got, I've got bigger things on my mind. So why is Paul so worked up about this? Why does he make such an emphasis on this? It is because law and grace cannot exist together. Law and the Spirit cannot live in the same house. Galatians 4, 21 through 31 is an allegory to show this. We didn't read all this passage, and I do not have time this morning to, to delve into a full explanation of it, but... I'm going to give you a very simple, straightforward synopsis. It says, Abraham had a slave named Hagar, and he had a wife named Sarah who was a free woman. One was a slave woman, one was a free woman. Abraham had a son. He wasn't supposed to, but he had a son by his his slave, Hagar. And he had a son by the free woman, Sarah. One was born in the ordinary way. One 
was born by the power of the Spirit. And verse 29 says, The Son born the ordinary way was persecuted Let me read this. I think I got my, don't have it wording quite right. Um, the son born the ordinary way persecuted the son born by the power of the spirit. The son born the ordinary way persecuted the son born by the power of the spirit. And then Paul goes on to say, it is the same now. In other words, living by the power of the spirit is in conflict with living by the demands of the law. They cannot be in the same house together. You can't be a person living under law and living under grace. You cannot be a person living by the law and by the Spirit. And that's why Paul says, cast out or get rid of the slave woman and her son. So living by the power of the Spirit can only work, okay? Living by the power of the Spirit can only work when a person is free from the external demands, pressures, and laws and condemnation of law-based living. The life of the Spirit can only be experienced when you are responding to the internal, indwelling, inspiration, operation fruit-producing work of the Holy Spirit. That's the only way it will work. That is why it says so forcefully, cast out the slave woman and her son. And Paul concludes this allegory by saying, therefore, brothers, we are not children of the slave woman, but of the free. So Paul is worked up about this because there, there is a real danger for us as believers. He's worked up about this because there is a real enemy to this liberty in the spirit. There is a, uh, to use a contemporary term, there is a spiritual virus that attacks the glorious freedom that we have in Christ. And instead of, instead of infecting our computers, it infects our hearts and crushes our joy and weighs us down with a load that makes the Christian life feel heavy, oppressive, and burdensome. And it's called legalism, or just which is law-based living. And Paul is concerned because you can be set free by Christ and yet be drugged back into bondage, either by your own choice or willingness or by the seduction or pressure of other people. Other people can steal your liberty if you let them. And that was what was happening among the Galatians, others were trying to pull them back into some kind of legalistic bondage, particularly in their, particularly in their case by pressuring them to be circumcised. You know, liberty in Christ is sometimes crushed or stolen by the most sincere people, even sometimes by, by pastors who in their zeal to have people follow what they think you ought to do, undermine your liberty in Christ. And many Christians feel that the only way to control people's behavior is to take away 
the freedom of God's spirit and his grace. They believe the only way they can keep people from sinning is the law. But Paul says the only way to keep people from sinning is the power of the spirit working within and the fruit of the spirit. So Paul's concern with the Galatian believers is that as believers in Christ, as believers in Christ who were completely accepted by God through the crucifixion and death of Christ for their sins, as believers who were justified and made right with God, as believers who had the Holy Spirit indwelling them, they were considering turning back to keeping the law of circumcision. Here they were in Christ, they were free in Christ to go live life, to serve Jesus, to love one another without any kind of religious laws, and they were considering giving that up. And the message in Galatians is a warning. Don't exchange the precious gift of justification through Christ, and don't exchange the precious gift of the Spirit for legalism or law-based living. Don't leave the liberty of the Spirit for anything. Don't let others pull you back. Don't let anyone take you away from this father-son intimacy that Jesus Christ purchased for you back into a rule book mentality. I've used the word legalism a couple of times this morning, and I'm just going to spend a couple minutes talking about what is legalism. Uh, Well, legalism is any departure from trusting solely in Christ for your salvation and your status with God, and any departure from living by the Spirit or out from the power or source of the Spirit as your means of presently serving and pleasing Christ. You can recognize legalism Uh, because of spoken or unspoken expectations or rules. Some of the ones that are mentioned in Scripture, uh, do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. Uh, Paul calls them human commands and regulations, harsh treatment of the body, Uh, men who forbid marriage, uh, men who advocate abstaining from foods, keeping days and weeks and months. The focus with legalism is always on the external. Therefore, one of the marks of legalism is conflict with other believers over external things because that's what, we're, that's what, that's what we're, our focus is on. And so there's usually fo- a conflict with other believers over things like dress and food or spiritual disciplines or days or holidays, whatever. It's always about external things. And Paul denounces legalism for two reasons. He says, one, legalism or restricting our, our Christ-purchased freedom, it devalues the cross of Christ. It fails to appreciate the completeness of Christ's work on our behalf. It fails to appreciate our, the total forgiveness that Christ earned for us, the total acceptance that we have with God that Jesus Christ bought for us. It fails to appreciate the, the glory of our standing with God as free sons and daughters and God as our Abba Father, our dear Heavenly Father. 
So it, it, is, it is a denial of the value of what Christ did for you. And it is such a critical error that in, in verse 2, Paul says, I tell you that if you let yourselves be circumcised, Christ will be of no value to you. I mean, Paul is really strong on this. That if you, that if you begin to trust in something else in order to make you right with God, if you begin to trust in anything other than Christ alone and Christ crucified on your behalf, if you begin to trust in anything else to give you perfect peace with God, perfect standing, perfect acceptance with God, Paul says Christ will be of no value to you. That's a pretty strong statement. Secondly, legalism devalues the work, the reality, and the work of the Holy Spirit. People who get into a very much of a legal, a law-based, rule-keeping sort of Christianity, you can just you can see it. They really don't. They really don't believe in the much in the reality of the Holy Spirit. They really don't believe in His immediate presence dwelling right now in my heart, in your heart, with the ability to produce fruit and life, and to move you and stir you and inspire you and lead you. They really don't believe that. They believe that you've got to have laws to get you to do the right thing. As I said, the issue with the Galatians was circumcision. But Paul said, in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything or counts for anything. And, you know, that can be said about pretty much every external thing that Christians tend to focus on. You know, neither doing this or not doing this means anything. Or it counts for nothing. The only thing that matters, Paul goes on to say, is faith working through love. Because Christianity is not outwardly imposing something upon yourself like circumcision. It comes from the inside, from faith and love placed in your heart by the Holy Spirit. That's what, that's what controls us. That's what urges us on. And Paul says that is all that matters. And the surprising thing is, those who live this way, those who live by this liberty of the Spirit, those who live by the Spirit will soar to heights of love and service for Jesus that a law could never produce. And we really only thrive and grow and become useful servants of God in this environment or atmosphere of freedom in the Spirit. We only experience the full joy and the glory and, and dare I say, the fun of being a Christian when we are walking in this liberty. All right, I want to move on to some, some applications and you know, when I, when I move on to applications, sometimes I feel like it's kind of dangerous uh, because we're, you know, we're, take, we're take, making that jump from the Word of God into some things that, 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 that how, how we're going to talk about, well, how does this really apply to us? It's necessary to do so, but uh, you know, I pray to God that no one would misunderstand any of these, and we're going to get into some considerations at the end that I think are really important for us to keep in mind. But I, I want us to... I want us to to see how how this does have some application just in our in our daily lives that we are this free that we are have this much liberty. Number 1, 
First application, we are free to make choices without, being fe- without fear of being condemned by God. You might say, really? We are free to make choices without fear of being condemned by God. Paul understood this when he said, I know and I'm convinced in the Lord Jesus Christ that nothing is unclean in itself. You are free to make choices with food, with money, with time. Uh, You can choose to drive a car or a pickup or an SUV or a van. Uh, This afternoon, you can watch a basketball game or you can spend that time reading your Bible. And you can do both while being perfectly and totally accepted by God through Jesus Christ. You can do both in the presence of the Lord and be pleasing to the Lord. For me, I have to know that I am as acceptable to God when I am eating popcorn tonight as when I am sharing his word this morning. I'm not saying they're equally important, but we are equally accepted, accepted acceptable to God and we have this freedom to live life we have freedom to to just go and live and make choices and decisions and we are living life as free mature sons of God given our freedom living without condemnation and free to make choices you know in Romans 14 Paul talks about one man who is a vegetarian another one who eats everything one, one man who considers one day more sacred than another, another man who considers every day alike. And while Paul clearly states that the stronger believer is the one who has more freedom, yet he also demonstrates how two different choices can be made and both are glorifying to God. Look at the, look at the subject of giving in 2 Corinthians 9.7. Each man should give what he has decided in his heart to give not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. You see the freedom, the freedom of choice in that? You are free to make a decision what you give. In fact, God wants you to make a free choice what you give. That's what he likes. He loves people who give cheerfully, not under compulsion or not under some kind of law. And even in certain circumstances, certain situations, you're free, you're free not to give. You know, if you're led that way, you're free to, to say, you know, I'm just decided that this isn't really where I want to give money to. Generosity and giving is certainly the principle of new life, but it is, is not turned into a law. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 9, I'm just giving you some other more examples. Paul said, am I not free? Do I not have the right to bring along a wife with me as do the other apostles, the Lord's brother, And Peter. Paul says, am I not free? You know, I could make a choice to bring along a believing wife with me, as do the other other apostles, including the Lord's brothers and Peter. Although he did not use that freedom, he said, I am free to do that. The other apostles did use that freedom, according to Paul. So again, do you see the freedom of choice? It, one one man decides before God that he's going to bring along a, a, belief, a wife with him on his apostolic journeys. The other apostles decide that they are, that they are not. And uh, one can choose one path, another can choose another path, and both are acceptable and pleasing to God. 
You are free to fast from food completely for three days or 40 days. Or you're free to enjoy the, the best thing on the menu at the Cheesecake Factory. I mean, God accepts you in Christ either way. 1 Corinthians 8.8 8 says, Food will not commend us to God, nor are we the better off if we do not eat and no better off if we do. We are no better off if we do not eat and no better off if we do. In other words, f- food is not what makes you acceptable to God. No matter what you do with, with, with food, um, it doesn't commend you to God. Christ is what commends you to God. Jesus Christ and his work is what makes you acceptable to God. You can take a vacation or you can not take a vacation. You can send your kids to public school or Christian school or homeschool. You can celebrate Christmas or not. You know, I mostly listen to Christian radio when I'm out driving around, but I'm also free to turn over and listen to sports talk for a while. I mean, there's just this liberty that we have in Jesus as we walk in the Spirit, as we live totally accepted by God. Now, I'm not saying everything is equally profitable, and we're going to get to that. So you know, don't, don't get nervous, okay? But you are totally free to, to make choices as a child of God, as a, as a mature son of God, set free by Christ and living under the leadership and inspiration of the Holy Spirit. All right, second application, you are free to enjoy things. God has created many things in this world for our enjoyment. 1 Timothy 4, 3 and 4 addresses the problem of people who don't want you to enjoy things. Paul talks about men who forbid marriage. In other words, they teach you can't be spiritual or really be used by God and enjoy the physical pleasures of married life. That's... that's It's a very, very real issue. It has been all throughout all of church history. But Paul says, that's law. That's not from God. And he says, uh, he talks about men who advocate abstaining from foods. In other words, they kind of teach that certain foods are off limit. And in order to please God or live at a certain, uh, reach a higher level of spirituality, uh, you can only do that if you, you don't eat this or that. But then Paul can, so he's talking about men who forbid marriage, men who advocate abstaining from certain foods. But then he goes on to share uh, what true Christian liberty really is. He says things, he calls, he says these things, these are things which God has created to be gratefully shared in by those who believe and know the truth. For everything created by God is good and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with gratitude, for it is sanctified by the word of God and prayer. So he says, here's people that they don't want you to enjoy these good things that God has for you in this life. They don't want you to enjoy these things, so they, they forbid you to do this, or they say you should abstain from this. But Paul calls these, th- these things which God has created to be gratefully shared in by those who believe and know the truth. Who's that? That's us. God created the good things in this world for his people, 
for those who believe and know the truth. So where did we get this? Get the idea that Christians are not to enjoy things in this world. I mean, boy, that started out right from the, at the at the end of the apostolic age. There started to become this real heavy emphasis on asceticism, and the the the, the less fun you had in life, the fewer things that you enjoyed, the more spiritual you were. And it's been an, it's been an infection in the church ever since. And I, I don't know how people can maintain that with the uh, clear teaching of things like this passage in First Timothy four. We are. Here's the way I look at this. This is this is what helps me get the balance. We are to make an idol of nothing, but we are to enjoy all things with gratitude, because God, who is the giver of all good things made these things, and they are ours to enjoy. All right, third application. We are free to obey, free to give, free to love, and free to serve others by choice, by free choice. Not under a law, but freely. Okay? You, 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 you give yourself away freely, not, not based on law, but freely and cheerfully. And I'm going to go back to Martin Luther's book uh, on concerning Christian freedom here. He said, a, a Christian has no need of any work or law to be saved since through faith he is free from every law and does everything and does everything out of pure liberty and freely. Thus, from faith flow forth love and joy in the Lord and from love a cheerful, willing, free spirit disposed to serve our neighbor voluntarily without taking any account of gratitude or ingratitude, praise or blame, gain or loss. That's how free we are to serve. It flows out from love, a cheerful, willing, free spirit. He goes on to say, We Christians are kings and priests, and lords of all things, and may be confident that whatever we do in the presence of God is pleasing and acceptable to him, whose heart would not rejoice in its inmost core at hearing these things? Whose heart, on hearing so great a consolation, would not become sweet with the love of Christ, a love to which it can never attain by any laws or works? In other words, this freedom is so sweet, it is so generous that we have, that it makes our, it makes our heart sweet, he says, with the love of Christ, a desire to freely and willingly serve Jesus, a desire to please Jesus, a love for Jesus and a love for others, which can never be attained by any law or works. So Luther saw our complete freedom from law, from sin, law, and, con- and commandments and condemnation. He saw this as a powerful motivation for living life. And I think it is true that you can only do with, with, with delight what is not a law. There, there's just something about that. It was for freedom that Christ set us free. 
And he goes on to say one final quote from Luther. Who then can comprehend the riches and the glory of the Christian life? I love that. Who then can comprehend? Who, who of us can even begin to comprehend the riches and the glory of the Christian life? It can do all things. It has all things as in, in, and is in want of nothing. It is Lord over sin, death, and hell. And at the same time is the obedient and useful servant of all. What a great thing it is to be a Christian. What a great thing it is to have this liberty that Christ purchased for us, for us to live in. Now, some considerations that that have to go with these applications. Number one, not all things are equally profitable. First Corinthians 10, 23 says, Everything is permissible, but not everything is profitable. Not all things edify not everything is constructive. I mean, there's certain things that, that you have the liberty in Christ to do, but after a certain amount of time, they might, might not be that profitable, you know? See, so that, that does need to be taken into consideration. You know? But again, it's not, it's not based on this harsh, harsh, confining law of, you know, you can only do 15 minutes of this and then it becomes unprofitable. We're, you know, we're not living that way. But it's just that, okay, and, and the wisdom and leadership of the Holy Spirit might, might come to the conclusion that it isn't that possible, profitable to watch the 10th basketball game in a row. or something. You, know, you know what I mean. You know, there's, there's, it's, not, it's, it's something that through the Spirit we have wisdom to decide that, okay, it's not that profitable to do. We're free. Everything is permissible, but, but it's not everything is constructive or profitable. Number two, this... This freedom that we're talking about this morning is not the freedom to, to be selfish or to sin or to do ungodly things. Paul said in Galatians 5.13, you, my brothers, were called to be free. All right, there's, there's this freedom. But do not use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature. Rather, serve one another in love. Number three, love for your brothers and sisters is to guide your use of freedom. 1 Corinthians 8, 9 says, Be careful, however, that the exercise of your freedom does not become a stumbling block to another person. Okay. Love is to, to guide or give direction to our use of freedom. When your freedom may knowingly hurt another person, then you voluntarily refrain from it out of love. Not because you're living by law, but because out of love. And for some, this could raise the question, well, how do I know then how to stand fast in my freedom? You know, Paul said, stand fast in your freedom. Don't, don't let, in, in fact, he says, uh, don't let anybody act as your judge in regard to food or drink or days. Do not submit to decrees such as do not taste, do not touch. So that sounds like, yeah, I just go live out my freedom. I don't care what anybody thinks. Well, when it is an issue with a, a weaker brother, when it is an issue with another person in the body of Christ that is, it just has a struggle with that issue, out of love, you voluntarily refrain from exercising your freedom in their face. Okay? But when someone is a committed legalist, when someone is out to impose law upon you or the church family, then you stand firm 
and you let no one act as your judge in regard to food or drink or days, etc. That, I think, is the, the difference. But just to wrap things up uh, this morning, you know, there, there, there's really two ways to live. There's two ways that you can live. There's, there's, the, there's the law road and there's the spirit road. There's the legalistic road and the freedom road, the law road and the grace road. There is the slave woman and her son and the free woman and her son. And as Paul said, they cannot be in the same house. You have to throw out the law if you're going to live by the Spirit. And the problem with going down the law road, as, as Paul says, and I, I, can't, I don't have time to get into all the nuances of this and say, well, it, it doesn't mean this. And I, I'm just going to put it the way he says it. Christ will profit you nothing. And I know this applied to circumcision and in that sense may not have direct application. But again, I like what Theodore Epps said. Any attempt to get back under the law in any way turns off the power of Christ. It is just like turning off a light switch. And I, I, I really think that that, that that is a root reason or root cause behind some of, the, some of the lack of powerlessness and some of the lack of the power of the Spirit in our lives as we're trying to live in two ways simultaneously. And like Theodore Epps says, any attempt to get back under the law in any way turns off the power of Christ. So what, what is the cure for legalism? What is the cure? Uh, what is the thing that will keep us from stumbling in this or falling into this? What is, what is the cure? What will keep us from this tendency to get back into law-based living? Well, two things very simply. One, keep your focus on the cross of Christ and the work of Christ. Keep your focus on all that Christ bought and purchased and paid for you, how, he, how his death, his atoning sacrifice brought you near to God, made you acceptable to God, gave you a perfect standing with God, justified peace with God, all those things. Focus on the cross of Christ and focus on the reality of the Holy Spirit. Because it's the cross of Christ that atoned for our sins. It's the reality of the Holy Spirit presently living in us, inspiring us, working, working through us, operating in us. That is the cure for legalism. Let's pray. Father, we, uh, we thank you for the liberty of the new covenant which Christ purchased for us. Uh, we thank you for the glory of it, the freedom of it, and we, we rejoice in it today, Lord. We pray that you'd help us to, uh, to guard it, to stand firm in it. Pray, Lord, that you would help us to realize that we we can't live two ways in, in the same heart or in the same, same person. Help us to be that as firm as Paul said we are to be firm 
with this issue that we are to cast out the bondwoman and her son. Lord, I pray that you'd help us to understand this. I pray that you'd help everyone who's here this morning to get this, to really understand it, to have a revelation uh, for your spirit to make it plain and clear to us. And Lord, finally, we, we just have to say, it, it, is, it is such an amazing thing. It is such a glorious thing, such a rich and glorious thing to be a Christian, to have this liberty. And it does produce a sweetness of love in our heart for you and for the things of you. And our desire is to please you. We just thank you that we get to do that without being under law.